0: Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. This is one of the most important doctrines and uh, messages that needs to get out in this day in this age the dominion over demons devils and satan himself and um, it's definitely one of the most neglected doctrines in our christian world but the most needed doctrine to be preached and spoken and and delivered to the saints in this day you know the bible says in ephesians chapter 4 now god gave gifts to the church he gave some apostles some prophets some evangelists, I'm an evangelist, some pastors and some teachers, and he gave them for the equipping of the saints, for the edification of the church, for the work of the ministry. We are all called, deliverance, um, being used by God to cast out devils, all those marvelous things that we read about in the scriptures are not reserved for clergy. They're not reserved for Uh, pastors or preachers or teachers alone, people that have a position of leadership in a church. No, the scripture says very clearly, and we're going to get in it a little more later in this broadcast, but Mark 16 says, as you go, you are to preach the kingdom of God. Those who believe will be saved and baptized. Those who do not believe will be damned. And these signs will follow, not the preachers, these signs will follow, not The uh, people who've gone to seminary or people that have uh, some sort of theological uh, mass reservoir of knowledge in their hearts. But those who simply believe on the gospel, these signs are going to follow them. Deliverance. They will cast out devils. They will exercise supernatural authority over supernatural forces that attempt to dislodge And um, dismay the people of God. The Bible says they'll even pick up deadly serpents and they shall not harm them. What does that mean? doesn't mean you go out into your yard and find your garden snake and start playing with it and manipulating with it and put it on YouTube and say, look, I'm picking up deadly serpents and it's not harming you. That's not what Jesus was saying. When when the Bible refers to uh, serpents or scorpions or any type of animal like that, They are actually referring to, the scriptures is referring to demonic power, demonic activity. And Jesus said, if you'll believe on me, you'll pick up deadly scorpions, deadly serpents, meaning that you'll toy with them as if they had no power over you, as if they can't do anything with you, as if they can't do anything to harm you. Remember what Luke chapter 10 verse 17 says, I will give you power and authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. Not only the little tiny spirits that try to screw things up on a minor level, but I'll give you power and authority over all the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means harm you. You'll pick up deadly scorpions at large. At large, the body of Christ is... I can't speak for for everyone, but I know that there are many who live in tormenting fear. They live terrorized by the devil. They live in in absolute panic and anxiety and distress whenever they think of demons or the devil or the supernatural uh, powers of darkness. And as a result, it has produced a generation who do not know how to handle such things proper demonology proper teaching on dominion proper teaching on the devil will not produce a sense of fear in your heart when it is truly taught under the inspiration and power of the holy ghost under the anointing of heaven it is going to produce an army of soul winners an army of believers that like joel 1 or joel 2 i believe it is prophesized that in the last days there will be an army that god raises up on the earth such as has never been witnessed since the dawn of time. I don't. I love the book of Acts. I read the book of Acts. I study the book of Acts. But the book of Acts and the power that was displayed and the authority and dominion over Satan displayed and manifested by the disciples is going to pale in comparison to what we are going to experience in these last days. God is not coming back. Jesus is not returning for a beaten down, bruised and battered and contorted and distorted church. Man, I didn't come to play games today. There are some of you watching that have been harassed and tormented by demons. You have been like the devil's field day year after year today you're coming out in the mighty name of Jesus Christ today is the last yesterday was the last day of torment that you experienced from today you are rising from strength to strength you are going from glory to glory the devil is gonna rue the day when he had you and didn't kill you because of what you're about to do to the kingdom of darkness God is gonna work in you and through you to beat back the forces of darkness in your home in your family in your business in your region in your schools if you're a student and the devil will not have this final say I mean I can't get around preachers that talk about how the devil's acting up and what he's doing in these last days and ultimately you know Jesus said these would be signs of the times and we ultimately have to just look for and hasten the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and do nothing about no Jesus didn't teach that there'd be demon activity in the last days so we can just like fold our arms and say, well, let's just hope Christ comes back quicker. No, he was saying, get ready, equip yourself by the word of God because when you do that, I'm going to train you. I'm going to train you that no matter the lawlessness that increases, no matter the forces of darkness that increase in the last days, remember what Romans 6 says, where deep darkness is, there the grace and power of God that much more abounds. The evidence of what we're seeing on planet earth, you know, people like these preachers I was talking about, they're they are pretty much like, they've given up. They've given up. They've thrown in the towel. They said, you know what, let's just hold the fort. We were not called to hold the fort. We were not called to just uh, tolerate and uh, endure Satan's attacks. The Bible doesn't say God gave us this precious book and the anointing of the Spirit so we can endure the devil. The Bible says that we have an anointing to lift up the heavy burdens that the devil would seek to put on society and to break every yoke of captivity. God is raising you up by his anointing to put the devil on the run in these last days. And the devil won't have anything to say about it in Jesus' mighty name. There is going to rise in you a holy violence, a holy aggressive attitude where you're no longer just going to say, well, you know, Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. Yeah, but Jesus said, I came to give you keys of the kingdom that if you will exercise the authority, I give you whatever you bind on earth shall be bound from heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose from heaven. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. The devil's not going to have the final say in America. The devil's not going to have the final say in Canada. The devil's not going to have the final say in Australia, in the United Kingdom, or any African nation, wherever you're watching in right now. God has reserved this final remnant. The devil might be laughing now, but God will have the final laugh. We will have the final laugh. The Bible says the kings of the earth, they gather against the anointed. They gather against Christ, against the gospel, against the Bible. They try and get rid of it. They try and dismiss it. They try and alleviate the world of it. But the Bible says God sits in the heavens and he laughs. We're going to join him in laughing. When you understand when you understand proper doctrine concerning demonology, you will not cry. You will laugh. You will laugh. Martin Luther said it. i make it a point. I have it written down somewhere here. I got to read this quote verbatim because this, this quote from Martin Luther just struck something in me. That's why, partly why I'm preaching on on what I'm preaching on today because I want to produce that same reaction in you. The next time the devil comes knocking on your door, instead of you just hiding out, pretending you're not home, you're going to open it up and say what is it that you want? And then enforce the same defeat he experienced at Calvary over and over and over again. That's what the name of Jesus does. That's why Jesus said, if you'll just use my name, I'll, I'll beat down the adversary in your life. The same defeat he experienced at the cross, when you issue, when you bring that name, when you speak that name, it reminds him of that defeat, and the pain he suffered comes back alive in his body, and he knows, I don't want to go another inch closer to that one, because they're not playing games, they don't just speak, there's a lot of people who use the name of Jesus, like it's some four-leaf clover, or it's some rabbit's foot, hoping they're going to receive some to- sort of uh, relief from, uh, from demonic um, pressure. And so they just say in the name of Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you can say Jesus till your tongue gives out. You can say Jesus till you have no more breath in your lungs. Just saying the name Jesus without understanding what that name carries is not going to produce breakthrough in that life of yours. You have, I mean you look at in Acts chapter 19, there were seven sons of Sceva. They were Jewish exorcists that came on the scene trying to exercise a demon in the region of Ephesus. And the Bible says the demon looked to that to the to the seven sons of Sceva, and said, Jesus, I know. I know who Jesus is. I recognize the authority of the name, of, 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 of Jesus. Paul, I know. So it wasn't just, well, that was Jesus. No, he even said, Paul, I know. I recognize who Paul is. Paul recognizes who he is in Christ. So when he comes on the scene, I have to go. But who the heck are you? They used the name, but they had no understanding built up into their spirit as to what that name entailed. And as a result, the scripture says, the man in whom the evil spirit was rose up, rose up, and began to beat them, left that, they left that house bruised, harmed, and naked. But you see the difference between that and in Acts chapter 16, where Paul comes to, uh, I forget where he was. Let me read it. Paul, Acts chapter 16. Bible came right on it. A couple of pages away. Acts 16, 16. Now it happened as he went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl cried out. If you're just joining me now, welcome to the broadcast. If you could just share the broadcast. Uh, and share it as many times as you want you're really helping me if you're on YouTube comment like do whatever you can to beat the algorithm so that this message can get to the hearts of those that have need of deliverance more than ever are people bound by spirits bound by by devils and demons more than ever is this world in need of 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 the message of dominion and so you can help me by getting this message out by sharing it liking it commenting as much as you can Acts 16, 16. And a certain slave girl was possessed with a spirit of div- divination met who met us and who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. You see what the devil does? He binds people and other people who are in cahoots with him are getting rich off others being bound. You know, that's really like the, the pharmaceutical industry. That's how they are. You have people in high places in that industry that... They know what they're putting into these medications. They know exactly what they're giving and delivering to our generation. They know that it's not curing. They know that it's not helping. It's just having them hooked into a system where they need constant fuel, constant medication to continue to have basic living uh, quality of life. They get you in. If you have no sickness when you're 8, 9, 10 years old, they'll tell you, you have ADHD. You have some sort of... Uh, learning disability. And so they'll hook you in on, on some sort of Ritalin or, or focusing drug. And so they get you hooked on the system. And then that drug triggers something else. So that when you're older, now you've, you have need of antidepressants. You have need of anti-anxiety. So you see wicked men who understand what they're doing are actually gaining wealth and affluence by keeping people bound. That's what a strip club does. You have wicked people that don't even go into the strip club they're actually in the back room they don't even know the woman uh, the, the people that are stripping and all that they don't even know their names they have no care they have no desire but they set up a system where other men who are bound by a spirit of adultery a spirit of lust, that cap they have an insatiable desire and crave for sex they're not getting enough from pornography or whatnot so they've moved on where they have to go into a strip club and now you have people who are getting rich of others being bound. And then you have drug addicts, the same thing, the same strategy is applied in every single faculty. You have drug addicts. The drug dealers, most of them do not take drugs. Most of them do not, high level drug dealers do not not take drugs. They, I mean, that's where you get the thing, the term, don't get high on your own supply. They don't do the drugs. They know the destructive forces of the drugs. They understand that if you take drugs for a long period of time, it'll actually produce a, a, a scrambled egg type of brain where you have no ability to coherently think and cognitively act in life. And so as a result, What do they do? But they know that there's others who are bound by by an addictive spirit. Then they're driven to drugs. And they've had, you know, that's why they do the first ones on me. They always give you the first hit for free. Why? Because if they can get you into one hit, if the devil can just get a foothold, he can drag you in hook, hook, line, and sinker where you're completely possessed or or controlled and manipulated and influenced by by his, his will and by his power. So you have drug dealers making money off guys who want to stop doing the drugs. A lot of them, if you ask them, the guys that are going to rehab clinic after rehab clinic, they don't want to stay bound. They don't want to stay hooked up to those those needles, they don't want to do meth anymore. They've they had, it's like the devil will lure you in with chocolate chip cookies and he puts crumbs, luring you in, and you keep following the trail of crumbs, expect, expecting that there's going to be a full box of Chips Ahoy or Oreos, but instead you lift up your head and instead of seeing a box of Oreos, you end up seeing what? You see tofu. And nobody likes tofu. That's what the devil does. He lures people in. You know, that's why the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that sin has a pleasurable season. There is a pleasurable season to sin. There is a, a... a time where you don't necessarily feel the effect, the full consequence of the sin you're indulging in and and are practicing. But there comes a day, my brother and sister, if you don't repent, if you don't turn away, the wages of sin is death. The scripture says in James 1, God does not tempt anyone. Each man is tempted and he's drawn away by his own lust. When lust conceives, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, It gives death. It brings death. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18 Man, I feel the Spirit of God. This is going to be a bad day for the devil in your life. It's going to be a bad day. The devil's going to look back to February 9th, 2021, and realize that's the day I lost them, and that's since then I've never been able to get them back. This is going to be a day of victory for you. This is going to be a day of conquering for you. This is going to be a day where the greater one in you shows forth his power and breaks you free from the lesser ones that are in this world. The Bible says... That if God be for you, who can be against you, the one who is for you is going to work on your behalf. As the light of his word comes alive in your spirit, the forces of darkness are losing their grip on your life. They're losing hold off your life. And you are walking forth free. Free at last and free indeed in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe that's for you, shout a a living hallelujah. Write hallelujah in the comment section. Put the hands up emojis. Do whatever you can to show God that you're ready, that you're ready. So there's a wicked system. And the Bible says, and what I was going back to before, Ezekiel 18, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So God's not the one tempting. God's not the one bringing these addictions. God's not the one pushing you to sin. It's the devil so that he knows if he can get you in a little bit, he can take you in a whole lot. And that's why you have to guard yourself. Guard yourself. Firmly. The Bible says you are to resist him. The scripture says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You cannot indulge in continuous practicing of sin and expect to live a life of breakthrough and victory against the forces of darkness. I've seen people, I've seen it, even at my old Bible college. There was a lady that manifested a demon and she started to you know, have distorted distorted voices, it did not sound like a woman, it sounded like a man speaking through her, and uh, I remember it. it was in the women's dorms, I wasn't there, but a friend of mine who was the RA of the dorm ends up getting waking, awakened at like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., and um, three or four people who were praying for this girl to be delivered were unsuccessful, and so they went to get her because she had been used by God to do that several times, she, she's been trained up in that, she knew She knows how to carry herself in the authority of of who she is in Christ. And so she runs into the room, and um, they literally had people around her just, you know, Father, we just pray that you would give this lady peace. We just pray that, you know, peace. What are you doing? She doesn't need peace. She needs deliverance. She doesn't need you to lay hands on her. And just pray that God would lead her through this storm. So, and then one of the worship leaders started singing a song. And the demon actually spoke to her and, and was mimicking the exact words that every worship leader likes to say. Lord, we're just here for you today. We love you today. We just, You know, just like the typical worship leader, it's almost like they all have the same script before they get up. And the demon literally spoke to her and, and was mimicking the words that she was about to say, mocking her. And then this, you know, the RA, my friend, goes in, casts the demon out within five minutes, and there, that was the end of it. She was free the next day, and um, and I heard of her story not too long after. But you can see that if you come in with that nonchalant attitude that a North American church has built into their people, that it's all, you know, ultimately, there's two types of people on earth. There are people, that there's half the world that is demonized, The other half of the world that doesn't believe the devil even exists, and then the devil does his hardest to keep the two from ever meeting. Because if he can get you to totally relegate any type of, you know, manifestation like that is, they're just insane. You know, in Mark chapter 9... The scripture says Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and they have this encounter with God. When they come down from the mountain, the disciples of Jesus... Now remember, Mark chapter 3, Christ already gave his disciples the power and authority to cast out devils and to heal the sick. So chronologically, Mark 9 is after Mark 3. They had already been given authority to deal with demonic activity, and that you see that in Mark chapter 9... When Jesus comes down from the mountain, he sees his disciples arguing, arguing with the Pharisees and Sadducees and over over this very topic. And so a man comes forth from the crowd and says, Master, I brought my child to your disciples. He is demonized. He has a spirit that enters him he convulses he foams from the mouth he becomes rigid and he falls to the ground and oftentimes this demon tries to throw him into the water it tries to throw him into the fire seeking to destroy him i brought him to your disciples but they could not cast him out and jesus what did he say well how many of you know sometimes god takes you through it so he could get it to you know like what all this religious tradition and cliché it may, it strips the power of god out of there there are some preachers who are masterful at preaching the word and somehow stripping it of any power to set people free they know how to speak the word in such a way it's like it's an it's an ability it's a skill set they have where they, i never knew you can actually read this book and and bore people out and there's some people that are like that they just Totally have a skillful ability of reading this book and producing zero power. I don't know how you can read this and not see. What did Jesus do? You wicked, perverted generation. You faithless and adulterous generation. Bring the boy to me. So you see, they brought the boy to the disciples. The disciples couldn't handle it. And if Jesus wasn't there to correct them, those disciples would have gone on to preach some new doctrine that sometimes God says yes, sometimes he has different plans. Sometimes you just got to trust the process. What did Jesus do? He corrected them. He said, no, no, that's not my will. Rest assured, whatever the disciples did in that situation does not represent my perfect counsel and my perfect will. Bring the boy to me. And when they brought him to Jesus, the Bible says he, f- the spirit manifested. Anytime a demon manifests, it's it's first of all, it's an attempt to try and intimidate you. It's an attempt to, tr- to try and s- uh, strike fear into your heart so that you don't have confidence and ability to deal with it. But in reality, if you study the scriptures, anytime a demon manifested, it was an understanding on the demon's behalf that it was time for it to go. That it was its day of... Uh, of closure with that specific individual. You see it in Mark chapter one, the Bible says Jesus enters into the synagogue and there was a demonized man. Now remember, in the synagogues in those days, they didn't just have one preacher that got up and preached. It wasn't like today where you have a scheduled preacher and that's it. They had multiple speakers that would rise up and preach. They had multiple people that would get up, read a scripture, exhort the crowds, and um, and maybe lay hands on some people or whatnot. They, they, they would have multiple people scheduled on a given Saturday and a given Sabbath. So they had other people get up in that same synagogue that day and preach, and that demon did not budge one bit. Because the temperature wasn't high enough for it to get uncomfortable. When Jesus stood up and began to read the scriptures, the Bible says that that demon couldn't handle the pressure of the anointed Christ in that room. And it began to scream out, Son of God, what have we to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, I know who you are. Have you come to destroy us before the time? Jesus said, shut up and come out. Shut up. He didn't engage in a conversation. Hey, where do you come from? What's your name? No, shut up and come out. And that very moment, that demon convulsed him one more time, tried to do some, you know, flash show, try and get people scared again. And then all Jesus didn't budge one bit. You, I can just imagine as my, I, when I read the scriptures, I like to have like a video of, Of what happened, what transpired, and I can see Jesus' eyes. You know, the Bible says in Revelation, his eyes were like a flame of fire. I can see just flames of fire rising out of his eyes, and that demon, uh (laughs) uh-oh, he's not like the rest. That's why the disciple, that's why the people of Nazareth said, where did this guy come from? What kind of authority is this, that even with one word, he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. What new doctrine is this? Now understand, in the Old Testament, they did not have authority over demons. They didn't. You can look at uh, the whole of the New, the Old Testament. There's not one time, one instance where a man of God comes and casts a demon out of someone. Now you can you can uh, relate or refer to the story when an evil spirit entered into Saul and a troubling spirit gave him anxiety and fear and panic. And then David, as he played the harp the Spirit left him. But when David played the harp, he wasn't exercising the Spirit out of Saul. He was actually, the Bible says, God inhabits the praises of His people. So when he was playing the harp and he would sing and sing skillfully unto the Lord, God's presence came into the room. And as a result of God's presence, the demon had to leave. That's why you see in Acts chapter um, 28, when Paul gets to the island of Malta, the Bible says they were making a fire and as they... Lit up the fire, a snake, a venomous snake came out of the fire and fastened on Paul's hand and bit him. And the Bible says that the men of that land, that island, they were watching Paul. Uh, closely expecting him to die. They were like, a you know, in Africa, they have a 10-step snake, they call. Why do they call it a 10-step snake? It's because you have 10 steps before you drop dead. That snake was very much like it. It was like a 10-step snake. So they were watching, waiting for him to die. And they even said, this man must be a really bad criminal, though he's escaped the sea, yet justice does not permit him to live. And that's why this happened. But they waited a long while expecting him to die. But all, what did Paul do? He didn't go and seek medical attention. He just shook the snake off his hand and the snake went back into the fire. So you can see as as an object lesson, as an illustration, the same fire that drove the snake, the demon out of the fire is the same fire that when Paul shook the snake off back into the fire is the same fire that destroyed the snake. So the same anointing that draws the devil out in manifestation is the same anointing God has given you to put an end to his work in that person's life. Lester Sumrall said while he was in, uh, I think he was in Tibet or some uh, maybe in Indonesia, some sort of Asian country uh, during his his adventures with uh, Howard Carter. And he said as he was in a church, he was walking into a church one day to preach the Sunday evening service. And as he's walking in, a lady grabs his arm and brings him in. And tells him straight into his eye, looked at him and said, I have a white angel in me, you have a dark angel in you. And Lester Sumrall took, like, shook her off and, without even skipping a beak, took authority over the situation and says, No, you lying devil, I have a white angel in me and you have a dark angel in you. And in the name of Jesus, come out. Well, that lady falls to the ground, gets delivered, comes out, admits she testified that night. I had gone to like some sort of like witchcraft seat, uh, session. I don't know if it was like a fortune teller or whatnot. And uh, she said, from that moment onward, I've been living like in a daze where I have moments where I, I do come to reality and other moments where I'm totally clouded and totally confused. And so you see, if imagine if Lester Summer was like most American preachers. Well, You know, let's let's talk about this after. You'll come into my office and we can deal with this situation. Obviously, this lady's struggling with some sort of self-esteem issues and she's trying to assert herself. You know, that's what they try to make. You can't take spiritology and bring it down to the level of psychology. You can't do it. You can't take demonology and bring and relegate it to the level of psychiatry. It's deeper, man is not just soul and body, man is spirit, soul and body. So there are spiritually rooted problems and causative things that bring negative consequences in a person's life. He looked and you know what that did? That night when she testified, do you think Lester Summerall had to really spend time, long time on the altar call? Or do you think that people just rushed to the altar because they knew the lady and they saw a display of God's power. Lester Summerall tells a story which if, if you're looking on any type of material when it comes to, to demonology or whatever, I would recommend this book. It's called Demons the Answer Book by Lester Sumrall. It's like $6, $7 or whatever on Amazon. And it, it's a it's not even a long book. It has 140 pages and it's pretty large print and it's a small book. And it'll give you everything you need, to be honest. If you just have that book in the Bible with you, when it comes to deliverance, you'll have more than enough to... Um, Blast the devil out anywhere you go, because you know ultimately the Bible says the only thing that drives out darkness is light, and light is what it's inspired, inspired, inspirational knowledge, revelational knowledge from the Word of God. When this word comes alive in your spirit, it 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 produces light in you. The Bible says, "Ye are the light of this world." Who an ignorant Christian cannot shine the light of this world until he comes under the influence of the knowledge of the word of God concerning who he is. See, that's another thing. A lot of people understand who God is from the word of God, but they're totally ignorant when it when it comes to understanding who the devil is, what has happened to him, his origins, his defeat, and his ultimate defeat in, in the lake of fire. And they are totally ignorant when it comes to the understanding, the knowledge of who they are in Christ as a result of redemption. So, Uh, This lady, Lester Summerall tells a story of a lady. She's like a young missionary. I don't know how old she was. But she ends up, by the way, we're at 159 people on the live stream right now. This is uh, the most we've ever seen. And so thank you for sharing the broadcast. Thank you for getting this word out. If you're just joining me right now, God bless you. Welcome. Please share this broadcast. And let's continue this flow. I believe today is a day of deliverance and salvation for many people that will tune into this now on the live and on the replay. So... Help me out in getting this word out, and God will bless you for it. This little missionary girl, she goes to a foreign field and she is trying to set up a work. She's trying to do everything she can to, you know, proclaim the gospel, get people saved and whatnot. But nothing's working. It seems like she's just hitting a brick wall over and over and over again. Finally, she does enough damage, of course, for a. a, a person, a man who was the like chief witch in that town to come and approach her and said, this is my town and it's not big enough for the two of us. So one of us has to leave and I'm not leaving. And she's, and he actually says, I challenge you to like a duel. It's like an old Wild West movie. I challenge you to a duel in the city center on Wednesday, 1230 p.m. You show up and I show up and we're going to have a contestation of power. And whoever shows and displays more power will be able to stay. So she agrees to it, not even knowing she's some little innocent girl. And, and, you know, you went to Bible college, you weren't trained in this. Nobody, there isn't, most Bible colleges do not have a class on how to cast out a devil. They have classes on how to do media. You know, it's amazing how there's, actual full gospel bible colleges that have full out um programs majors on media so that they can produce and release media pastors which there's no there is no media pastor you're not I don't know why they feel the need in America to just throw pastor on a need you know he's a media pastor he's a worship pastor he's a this pastor he's a counseling pastor it doesn't make sense. There is no media pastor. There is no graphics pastor. (laughs) You are used in graphics and you can be, you know, God will use you in that season to help people and counsel people, but not everybody is a pastor. Anyways, that's a little side note. You have full Bible colleges, full gospel Bible colleges that have media majors. They have worship majors, which is not bad. These are all essential keys and components to having a successful administration in the church worship majors they have bible college that have uh youth pastor majors and that's great too they have missionary majors but they have no evangelism major they have no uh, no classes on demonology no classes on how to deal with evil spirits no classes on how to heal the sick no classes on taking dominion over the devil no classes on how to s- you know, preach the gospel with signs and wonders, and then we wonder why nobody wants to get saved in our, you know, anyways, so she accepts that, that she accepts that duel, not knowing what she was getting herself into, and so she goes, and she begins to pray and fast, asking the Lord, Lord, what am I gonna do? She did not expect or know what to expect from this guy, you know, she, it's the first time she ever came in in contact with a, like a high-level witch, so Wednesday comes along, she gets to the uh, city center, the whole town is out. So if she fails this, she goes home and she she, she pretty much has no ability to ever get any of these people saved or or uh, to believe the gospel because she pretty much miserably failed in front of the whole town. She would have no ability to ever get the attention of that crowd ever again. So she stands up and the other guy comes up and he says, um, let's begin. And she goes, you start first. Because she still didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to expect. So this guy, he lies down on the floor, and she said he became like a rigid, stiff plank of wood and closed his eyes, and then he began to lift up off the ground. And uh, as he lifts up up the ground, about like three, four feet, she's like, Lord, I can't do that. And I don't even have a scripture to stand on that would give me faith to do that. And so she's like panicking. What, what am I going to do that's going to match that or beat that? The Lord speaks to her in that moment. Go and take your foot. Jam it on his chest and push push down. Most American preachers would have probably said, well, that's not love. You know, the Bible says God is love and we're to act in love. That doesn't in any way display the character of God and nature of God. You love people. You love sinners. You do not love demons. Demons, you don't love darkness. You don't deal with darkness the way you deal with a sinner. You take authority, forceful, violent authority over wicked spirits. So she went, put little tiny mouse girl, puts her foot, her heel on his chest and pushes down. When she does, he comes out of that trance. He, he, she then points at him and says, in the name of Jesus, come out. When she does that, He 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 goes blank, they wait several hours. He wakes up and he doesn't even know where he is. He had given his his life over to a demon spirit years ago and from that moment onward, it wasn't even him operating. For years he lived and aged without any ability to exercise his own willpower. He did not know where he was in that moment and they had to explain to, to him what had happened and where he was and who he was and what he had done and all that from that day onward he said well listen all these people obviously look up to me but i he gets saved he gets baptized filled with the holy ghost he says to the missionary i'll be the mayor in the town this is like back in the day i'll be the mayor but you can be you can be like my right hand my white hand, right hand woman and anything you say will go in this town and I'll, I'll command the people just to listen to what you have to say. Oh, do you think she had any success after that? Of course. Of course she did. That, that same village is actually still to this day a refugee center for anybody that's a Christian in that, in that country. Because it's, it's, a, it's a country, that, I don't know if it's an Islamic country or whatnot, but there's a lot of persecuted Christians. That same village to this day is a refugee village for Christians who are seeking asylum from persecution. I mean you see, Lester Sumrall you've ever read his books, you, can, you, you know the story of Clarita Villanueva Clarita Villanueva was a, a Filipina girl in Manila, Philippines. She was about 15, 16 years old and her parents died at a young age and so she was she uh, was pushed into sex slavery when she was like 9, 10 years old and she ended up getting possessed of a demon And it started to manifest in so powerful in such a way where, like, she had to be uh, put into an asylum, put into an insane asylum and under lock and key and constant observation. And they actually were writing stories on her that she would be bitten by vampires, bitten by, like, invisible, they didn't know what it was, invisible beings would come and fasten... um, their mouth on her arm and bite down, and she would start to bleed. And people didn't see anything. The people in the scientists that were observing her did not know what was going on. They had no knowledge of the spirit world, so they just, you know, thought she was insane. it was in a it was a, a phenomenon. It even reached into um, the oceanic region of this world. Australia was there's like a news news articles from Australia as to what was going on. It took the world's attention. So this girl is like struggling year after year, nothing's happening, nothing's being resolved. They had Catholic priests that would go in, try and resolve it, nothing happened. They had Methodist pastors go in, nothing happened. They had every spiritual leader go in and try and do something about it, Buddhist, whatever it was. Nothing ever was resolved. She continued to, to suffer and struggle. And um, so one day, Lester Summerall in Manila, Philippines, and he was sent there by God to set up a church and to evangelize the nation and the city and he was doing so without any results so as he's listening to the news on his um his radio that night he hears this story of this uh strange phenomenon this strange woman bitten by invisible forces and they don't know what's going on and his wife is sitting next to him as he's studying the scriptures and he's listening to the radio and he says that woman is demon possessed that woman has a demon and he says if she doesn't get you know, delivered, nothing's ever going to get changed, she needs she needs the blood of Christ to set her free, and the Lord speaks to him, in that very moment, you're the one that's going to do it, in all of the Philippines, there's nobody that understands authority like you do, and nobody will ever be able to take authority over that thing, um, like you would, so if you don't go, she will die, and he says, Lord, send someone else, like, surely there has to be someone else, and so he just said, let me just pray for her, let me pray that she'll be delivered, Every time he'd pray, he would feel convicted in his spirit that he's he's actually ignoring a, a divine command and is trying to like excuse his lack of obedience in his praying. You know, that's what a lot of praying is. A lot of people pray to try and excuse their lack of obedience, expecting to um, just pour out on God our responsibility and hope he'll deal with it, when in reality God has already given you an instruction as to what you are to do. So she... Uh, he 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 just tried to pray it through and he just felt convicted every time he'd bring up her name. So one day, the Lord says, if you don't go and deliver her, she will die and go to hell and you'll be held accountable. So he gets up and he says, well, let, let me go. He goes into the prison and he had to sign like a waiver. Like he went into the cell and she beat him senselessly that he wouldn't sue because he was an American. So she, he signs a waiver and he goes in and they had like a whole crowd behind him. And the moment he walks in, remember, Lessa Somrall was failing as a missionary in that region. Nothing was working. He was struggling and frustrated. He walks in. This is his time to, like, show the power of God so that people actually take what he has to say uh, seriously. He walks in, and the moment that demon sees him, it starts to cuss, cuss at him. Now, understand, this lady did not understand English. She did not speak English. She did not have any knowledge of any other language other than the language she spoke her native tongue. And she, by a a demon spirit, began to speak in an English language, cussing at and cursing Lester Summerall, cursing God, and cursing and blaspheming the Holy Spirit in him. And so Lester Summerall didn't have any, you know, he, he didn't get intimidated by it and he didn't let it face him. He immediately, put that down and said you're a liar and you're of your father the devil the father of lies you're a murderer and in the name of Jesus by the blood of Christ I command you to cease and come out the lady gets delivered in that very moment he had fasted like two days before going to this meeting he gets delivered she gets delivered that very moment and word spreads throughout the town the next day the newspaper headline is the th- They used to call it the thing. The thing is dead. And then it has a whole article on Lester Somrall and what he had done. The mayor of the city gets wind of it, calls Lester Somrall into his office and says, listen, we've been trying to deal with this for a year, uh, for, for, I don't know if it was years or months, for a long time. You come in, obviously there's more to what you're saying than just words. So if you would like anything in this city, no matter what it is, I'll give it to you. Whatever it is. You know, when you begin to do things God's way, it's amazing how many doors of favor and blessing it'll open for you. He couldn't have, he could not have networked himself properly enough to get the mayor to say, anything you want, I'll give it to you. He could have called everyone he knew in America. And that wouldn't have produced that level of favor, that one miracle and one deliverance did. People try to accomplish a work, a supernatural task of God in the flesh and in human strength and expect to do it. And that's why there's ministers that are sent overseas, like Teal Osborne, when he went overseas to do crusades, he tried to explain the gospel. And the Holy Spirit said, I never called you to explain, but to demonstrate the power of the gospel. He comes back to America, hears William Branham preach, sees the power at work in his ministry, how he would cast out devils without even raising his voice, and he gets like influenced so much so by that man's ministry begins to study the gospels as though he had never read it finally the blinding forces of religion are lifted off his eyes he starts to see jesus as who he really is how he cast out devils how he healed the sick how when the kingdom of god came it marked the end of the kingdom of darkness in that region he goes back on the missions field and then began the greatest healing ministry of our time so Lester Sumrall says to the mayor, I want the city center, a stage to be set up and I need to do crusades for a minimum of three weeks. And I want to do a open air crusade. Would you let me do that? Yes, sir. We'll let you do that. He has Oral Roberts come in. He has, um, I think Teal Osborne come in and do a week and he has someone else. He had three people come in and do a week, and then he did a fourth week. So they had four weeks. They saw in four weeks 250,000 decisions for Christ. He establishes a church that begins with like 15, 20,000 people. I think to this day, this is like 50, 60 years later, there's still 3,500 to 5,000 people in weekly attendance at that church in Manila, Philippines one of the largest largest churches in that area. In one word, in one encounter with the light of God in of Summer, it broke open an entire nation. If you ignore the devil, he will continue to whip your family around and you'll live continuously frustrated as to why things don't turn. If you'll identify... Just like Jesus did, Mark 4, he's on a boat going to the other side, and the Bible says a a storm arises, and it calls it a vehement storm, that vehement, that word vehement actually has reference to a diabolically inspired storm. If you just let that storm rise and say, well, how many of you know God doesn't promise us stormless lives. He just promises the power and endurance to get through it. You live like that. You will continue to live in unnecessary suffering and struggling and storms that ought not to be there, that God never called you to walk through and God never called you to live in. Jesus is sleeping in the stern. The disciples come to him and say, don't you care that we're perishing? Get up, do something about it. He gets up. He speaks to the storm. You don't speak to nature. Obviously, there was something behind the storm Jesus was speaking to. He addressed the storm. He addressed the demon that was trying to stop him from getting to the other side. What was Jesus trying to get to on the other side? Mark chapter 5 begins with the gathering demoniac. Mark 5. Let me read it. Mark chapter 5. I don't know how you can be a minister and read the entirety of this Bible in sincerity, in an unbiased manner without having any type of religious tradition cloud your judgment, I don't know how you can read this in sincerity and not see that there is something, you know, when someone has unexplained depression and it's prolonged and it causes them to cut themselves, that that's just not a chemical imbalance in their brain. There's something at work. Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gatherings. So Jesus, remember Kelms the Sea? The devil was obviously trying to stop him from getting to this man. When he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And nobody could bind him, not even with chains. Well, you can't prescribe medication and medicate devils. Devils are not meant to be medicated. We are called to cast them out. Tried to bind them with chains. They tried to use natural force to deal with a supernatural force. And how did that work out for them? No one could bind them, not even with chains. When I had OCD, they tried to give me pills. The pills literally just shut my brain down. So I was like a, 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 a zombie, drooling. Uh, not aware, not awake. It's like the lights are on, but nobody was home. And I, I'm not saying I was possessed of a devil when I had that, but I there was certainly an oppression of the devil at work in my life. And had I not got, repented and gotten saved, perhaps it would have led to that. Because there are stages to possession, which I might do another broadcast on, Maybe I'll briefly go through them today. There are seven steps before possession. You don't just stumble into possession. You don't wake up one day and all of a sudden you're possessed of a devil. You you do not just stumble into it. There are seven steps. Let me just read them actually. I feel like, you know, I took notes on this. It'd be worth reading. There are seven steps to possession. You're not just walking on the street one day and you you pass by a a demonized person as he walks and you brush brush shoulders with him, all of a sudden it gets on you and you're possessed of a devil. So number one step is regression. When someone starts to regress, God created you for progress. I'm not saying at this step you're like super, very, there is a, 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 a large amount of distance between each one of these steps. You're not, you don't just step from regression and then two days later you're in possession. There's a, there is a, a slow, steady uh, progression towards it regression we are created for progress god said be fruitful and multiply when you see someone that is totally disengaged has no desire to produce just wants to live lazy that if left unchecked can lead to step number 2 which is repression repression is uh when you start to repress your feelings and your thoughts when you start to the bible says you suppress actually that's step number 3 but repression is you're 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 working overtime to avoid expression of how you're feeling and if you do that for a prolonged period of time it can be dangerous when you become silent and you're no i don't want to talk to anybody i don't want to say anything to anybody i don't want to talk i don't want to you know reveal any of my emotions my inner thoughts and you do that for a long time you might end up in stage three And you know there are sources of repression you might be a repressor of your own self you might live in a home where a family member represses you maybe you have a you know there's some people children they grow up where when the father enters into the room he's like an alcoholic and a drunk and he just you know it's just not a a good place to be a good environment and it represses you it literally just makes you want to crawl back into your room into your uh, cocoon your shell and just Watch Netflix till night hits and you go to bed and wake up tomorrow and hope he doesn't show up on time. And hope hope he's delayed at work or whatever. There's some people who have mothers that are like that. They're repressive. There's some people who their children are repressive in in the home. They sh- throw tantrums and, and they're almost uncontrolling. And they put something in the environment of the home where it's just not and you're not taking authority over the child and so it's it's just not a pleasant environment to be in. Number 3 is suppression. This is an abnormal attempt to squeeze down to crush to conceal to suppress your inner feelings. This is when you have no ability to uh to even think thoughts of joy. This is when you the devil is robbing you of all joy. He And he strips you of any energy or enthusiasm, and you're and and it's come to a point where excitement is a foreign concept to you. And there's a way at any one of these steps that I'm saying these are easy stages to just snap out of it. You're not possessed at these points. You're just there's the enemy's he's he's taking an attack. He's making an attack on you, and at any one of these points you can easily snap out. By the name of Jesus in your own life, just speaking it out of your own mouth. You can easily snap out by confessing scriptures. You can easily snap out of any of these of these points by uh taking authority your own your your own way, your own self. You can take authority over your own life in these in these stages. You know, and some of them are even practical things. If you're in a place where you have no enthusiasm, no desire to grow, no desire to do anything, you can just change the scenery. You know, if you have no desire to produce and you uh live in a in a a room that's very dimly lit and you have you know, no music playing and you you have a hard time studying as a result, well, put some music on, put some lights on and you can snap out of that. You can snap out change of scenery, uh good nights rest. Some people they just need some sugar because they're down. I'm not saying all of this is the devil, you know, trying to like snap you into it. I'm just saying if these things in your own life do are left unchecked, if you um, have prolonged periods like this, it could come to a point where it progresses in a negative way. Number four is depression. This is when you have a broken spirit. This is when you... This is when you... Uh, you know, it could be produced by a loss. It could be produced by tragedy. It could be produced by whatever an un- unpleasant scenario but if you're b- depressed for a long period of time and it's unchecked and you don't do anything about it it could put you on to number five number five is when you're oppressed oppression the Bible says that Jesus went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil this is literally when the enemy makes an attempt this is this is an attempt of the of the enemy to try and crush you to try and suppress you to try and, it's his um forces of darkness trying to to um to burden you down to put a weight on you too much for you to bear the egyptians were oppressed the israelites were oppressed in egypt and god raised up a deliverer so at this level you can still take authority over your own self but oftentimes there you can have an um there would be of necessity an outsourced source of deliverance number 6 if oppression is left unchecked unchecked it could lead to the obsession stage The obsession stage is where I believe I was. I had OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. You begin to obsess over certain things where it takes your thought, your resource, your energy, your time is given toward that. Um, Idolatry. If you live in the sin of idolatry long enough, the love of money, the love of the love of, of materialistic possessions, you can get to an unhealthy level of obsession. There's healthy obsession when you obsess over the gospel, when you're obsessing over God himself, when you obsess over delivering the message of the gospel, soul winning, you can obsess over reading the word, you can obsess. Those are healthy obsessions, but there's unhealthy obsessions. They're unreasonable preoccupations with an idea or an emotion. That is not conducive for growth. An obsession can come through believing a lie. The enemy can sow a lie and you obsess over that lie. An obsession can come through jealousy. There's jealous, uh, jealous husbands, jealous wives, where it's like the husband leaves the home and automatically the wife is conceiving in her mind every scenario of, you know, he comes home six minutes late and it's like, that, that man obviously had an affair on me. Well, no, he maybe stopped for milk on the way or maybe his gas his gas ran out in his car and he had to stop for gas. There's people, though, that they have an unhealthy amount of obsession. Maybe it's an obsession that comes from hatred. You hate a person with uh unholy amount of hate. <laughs> there's no holy amount of hatred, but there's some people who have no... Um, uh, they have a hatred for someone that's not within the 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 realm of reason you know when someone is driven to to stab someone in the heart 18 different times obviously that wasn't a human force at work that was a demonic force at work and also obsession can come through sins of immorality so you can obsess over greed you can obsess over adultery you can obsess over um, lust you can obsess over these things and if not if that is not cut at that stage and you obsess long enough, that's when, and obviously the time between obsession and possession could span a long time. But if it's not cut, if it's not dealt with at that stage, you come dangerously close to possession. And in possession, so in the first six, the devil does not possess a person's spirit. The devil is not um, inhabiting a person. It's all him dealing with people on from an external point of view. The last three, oppression, obsession, and possession, require, in my opinion, definitely possession, but obsession and possession definitely, in my opinion, require an outward source of help to to set someone free. When someone is obsessed over someone, they are usually not in a right frame of mind and need an anointed person, an anointed Christian, someone who knows their authority, to set them free from that so that they can see. They're not possessed, but a lot of times they need to be brought to reason and they need to be brought to... To, to light that you know they need to be snapped out of that state possession they absolutely need you cannot deliver yourself when you're possessed you need somebody to take authority over that demon spirit and like i'm going to read right now in mark chapter 5 so just you know a, a short rabbit trail that i gave those are the seven steps of possession so you don't just fall into it overnight there is actually a sequence that if followed and left unchecked uh over a period of time you can open yourself up to that um, if you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost and you're not filled with the Spirit, and Christ is not your Lord, so what happened here? He could not be bound, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. They tried to medicate, they tried to imprison him. I knew a guy. I know a guy in Saskatoon where he's exactly like this guy. He was a drug addict on meth and all kinds of. I think coke, meth, and and um, fentanyl and he would oftentimes be found in forests, naked, and just yelling at the top of his lungs, and police, law enforcement would capture him, they would arrest him, put him in jail until he came to himself, and then when he came to himself, they'd release him, and then a few weeks later, they'd have to come and get him again. Well, that's what they did to this guy. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs. Notice that the demons have their dwellings among the tombs always around death, always, they are not comfortable around life. That's why they cannot dwell long in an atmosphere, in an environment where the anointing is there. Because the anointing is the life force of God. So when that hap- when that comes on the scene, these things clear quickly. Night and day, crying out and cutting themselves with stones. So cutting is not some new thing. That's not something that millennials started to struggle with. Cutting has been, self-harm, self mutilation has been something that demon forces have tried to make man do. Why? Because it perverts the image of God. You are created in the image of God. The devil hates God, God, and so he can't attack God himself. So he goes for the next best thing, which is to get man to self-harm himself. And the answer to it is not counseling. You cannot counsel devils out. The answer to it is not, you know, laying hands on them and saying, Lord, we just pray peace and comfort over these troubled souls. No, the answer to it is the blood of Christ and the name of Jesus and a believer using those weapons of warfare to break the power of the devil over their lives. Come out of the man, you unclean sp- So wait, verse 6. When Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. So you can see the anointing is a tormenting force to the devil. The anointing was not given to, to us to tolerate the devil. The anointing was given to us to torment the forces of darkness well, when you go into that region just be careful because there's a real spirit of of um of crime and a real spirit of of hatred and murder in that area so be very greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world i want to read this to you first samuel 6 this is a type this is what the Holy Ghost in the believer's life looks like. A practical illustration of what it looks like. First Samuel chapter 5, sir. And the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, which was a demon god, And set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon falling on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place. If you have to help your God, then maybe it's time you get another God. (laughs) If If you find yourself constantly having to support him, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's like when you go to India or you go to some places, they have like you know 300 million gods, and they have to offer up rice and little things to the god. And you know sometimes a kid might be running by and it knocks the god over, and it, the 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 idol falls over onto its side, and maybe a a piece of its ceramic breaks off, and they have to glue it back together because they paid a lot a lot of money to to buy that. You know idol makers make a lot of money in those nations. If you have to glue your god back together, then maybe it's time. You reconsider if he's actually able to help you in a time of trouble. When the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen to its face on the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place. When they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen over onto its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And now the head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off the threshold, only Dagon's torso was left of it. And neither, therefore, the priests of Dagon, nor any of those who dwell there, come into Dagon's house or tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. And the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. So you can see here, the Bible says the Ark of the Covenant was the housing unit of God's very power and presence on the earth. When a a false god, when a demon god was set next to the Ark of the Covenant, the next day, it wasn't the Ark of the Covenant that fell over and was broken, and they had to pick it back up. It was the the demon god, Dagon, that was fallen over, and its head was broken off, and its two hands were broken off and severed from its body. What does that show you? God's power took off not only the authority The head represents the authority of that demon God, but the hands, the power to exercise that authority was broken off. The Holy Ghost, it was never God's plan or purpose to dwell in temples made with human hands. That's why people that say, well, I just want to get to the... Western wall, because that's the last piece of the temple, the original temple. I know the presence of God is so strong there. God's presence is stronger in my left pinky toe than it is in the Western wall, because he does not dwell there. When Jesus died, the Bible says he cried out, it is finished. When he spoke, it is finished. The veil of the temple was rent, torn from top to bottom, and the Holy Spirit, was released into the four corners of the earth to bring life to men. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, in verse 1 through 4, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one accord, and there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the place where they were dwelling, and there came from heaven. The Bible says the Spirit of God. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And then what happened? Peter, who was a shaken reed, who couldn't confess Christ before three slave girls at a campfire, stands up before 5,000, 6,000, who knows how many men were there, and says and preaches as they were mocking. I mean, you try and quiet down a crowd that's mocking you, a crowd that's yelling and screaming and calling for your head on a platter. He successfully, by the power of the Spirit, quiets down a full crowd and says men and brethren these are not drunk as ye supposed but this is that which was prophesied by Joel in the last days says God the days we're living in right now I will pour out of my spirit the same spirit that was in the Ark of the Covenant that made the temple the, 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 the temple God Dagon to fall flat on its face that same spirit Romans 8 11 dwells in you and dwells in me I'm no longer I who liveth but Christ lives in me. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost here on earth. That's why I don't go in regions and wonder if I'm going to make it out. I don't go into regions and wonder if there's a demon or a witch casting spells on my service tonight. I don't care. All of the devils in hell, all the witches and the warlocks in hell can line up against me. I have the blood of Jesus. I have the name of Jesus. I have the greater one in me. And as such, I have power and authority authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means harm me because I'm born from above and that which is from above is above all. If you'll understand that, all the forces of darkness, if God is not for you, if you're not saved, you're a dead man. But if God be for you it doesn't matter who lines up against you. You are always the majority with God. You're never a minority. Second, I think it's in 2 Kings 6, Elisha has his servant, and his servant goes out in the morning, and he lifts up his head as he's picking up the daily newspaper, and he poos himself a little. Because he sees there's a whole nation, the Assyrian army, that had been sent to kill him and Elisha. And he runs back in and he says, Master, alas, we're done. We've gone too far. I told you we should have quit a long time ago. We kept mouthing off. You know, there's a lot of Christians that say, well, I don't preach on demonology. Every time I preach on demonology, you know, it seems like someone in my family ends up getting, you know, a cold or a fever. And, uh, you know, I just... I shy away from it because I'm trying to self-preserve myself. Are you crazy? Then you're not teaching on it properly. The Old Testament saints, who didn't even have the knowledge we have from the epistles, when Elijah in 1 Kings 18, Hallelujah. When Elijah in 1 Kings 18 was challenged by the prophets of Baal and on Mount Carmel, they began to cut themselves and call on their god so fire can come and consume the, the sacrifice they placed on their altar. They tried, they were worshiping their demon gods. What did Elijah do? Father, I just bind that spirit. I just pr-. no, he didn't even do that. He began to mock the prophets of Baal. Hey, maybe he's gone for a pee. That's what the King James says. Maybe he's gone to alleviate himself. Maybe your God has gone on a far journey and he hasn't come back yet. He mocked them. When you understand your authority in Christ, you don't cower away. You rise up and mock. Mock. I don't know if I read the quote before that I was going to say about Martin Luther. I don't think I did. Martin Luther said, the devil is a conquered being. And he is, sorry, the devil is conquered by mocking and despising him. Not by arguing or fearing him. The devil is conquered. The greatest sign of faith, Philippians 1.28. You are not in any way to be terrified by your adversary, which is a sign to them of destruction, but to you of salvation. Martin Luther often said, get this, I often laugh at Satan. And there is nothing that makes him so angry as when I attack him to his face and tell him that through God, I am more than a match for him. Let me read that again. I often laugh at Satan. The next time the devil tries to make you weep at lies and deception, do the opposite. Laugh at him. Backed by God's promises. Knowing that the devil is not over your head. The devil's not eye to eye with you. The devil's not anywhere except under your feet. Why do you think Paul said, don't give him a foothold? Because he's under your foot. That's the only place he'd ever even be able to get a hold of you. Marilyn Hickey, I believe it is, an evangelist in the U.S., she has her shoes, every shoe that she has on the bottom of that shoe is the devil's home. She had it engraved on her shoes, the devil's home, because that's where he belongs. The Bible says in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace shall soon or quickly crush Satan. Where? Under your feet. I often laugh at Satan, and there's nothing that makes him so angry as when I attack him to his face and tell him there's nothing you can do about it. Kenneth Hagin was believing God for his brother to get saved. And remember, the reason why people don't get saved, 2 Corinthians four four is the God of this age has blinded the minds of them who do not believe, lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel. So it's, it's absolutely, there has to be uh, the power of God that comes in to break the blinders of the enemy off a person's life so they can see the light of the gospel so they can be saved. When people remain unsaved, unconvinced, in unbelief, that's a devil at work to try and keep them bound by his regime. Remember, when you got saved, you were delivered from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son in whom you have redemption by his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the glorious uh according to his grace. So Kenneth Hagin prayed for many years without success. Then he found out that he had authority over over demon spirits, and he can use that authority even in binding the work of the devil over his brother's life and call forth his salvation. So he did that. He said, after reading this, this revelation, Ephesians 2, which I'll read after, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. He stood up and he began to call out by faith, devil, I bind your work over my brother Dub, uh, Dub's. I think his name was Doug, Doug's life. I curse your work. Command your blinding forces to be lifted off his life. And I I declare he's saved. And it won't be long before this manifests. I call him forth into the salvation of God by faith in Jesus' name. What happened? Nothing happened immediately. Matter of fact, for a little bit, nothing happened. Matter of a couple hours later, uh, the devil actually tried to sow a seed of thought in uh, Into his mind saying, do you really think that by you saying that, that I'm going to really relinquish my hold off your brother? And Kenneth Hagin started to belly laugh. I don't think, I know that you have relinquished your hold off his life. And you're just coming back to lie to me, to deceive me into giving up. And he began to laugh. And he said, sometimes you got to laugh by faith, by faith. Sometimes you got to learn to laugh by faith. Even if you don't feel like laughing. Even if there's nothing to laugh at in the natural. Learn to laugh by faith. Ha, ha, ha. And he did that. Two weeks later, his brother Doug comes in the back of the auditorium, gives his life to Christ, and is a Christian, was a Christian, went to heaven. His whole life he was a Christian. He actually preached. I have some of his sermons on the USB. And he went to heaven. Gave his life to Christ. All that changed when instead of cowering in fear, he began to laugh in faith and confidence. What did the men say? Alas, Elisha, we're done. There's too much against us. The principality is too great. What did Elisha do? God, I pray, open this guy's eyes up so he can see what I see. And the Lord opened his eyes, and he looked behind him, and he saw chariots of fire. And what did that do? It put a boldness in him. When you see in the word, the forces that are for you. Maybe I'm going to leave part two for Thursday. And I'll leave it at this. Because if I get into my next topic, which is understanding the origin of Satan and understand his defeat and what he really looks like today, I'll probably go another two hours. So I'm going to leave that for Thursday. For everyone watching right now, you might see yourself, or maybe you are that Gadarene demoniac, where you've tried to medicate it. You've tried psychiatry. You've tried counseling. You've had every preacher in America pray for you. And it seems like you haven't been alleviated from this demonic oppression and torment. It seems like the enemy's presence is still felt in your house, and you don't know what to do. I'm telling you today, there's a way out. You are not called to stay bound. The Bible says you were delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Delivered from. If I was in, if I was in a nation, and I spent two, three weeks in a nation, let's say Cambodia, for example, and I, I maybe did something, I didn't even know it was a crime there, it's not a crime in Canada, but it's a crime in Cambodia. And I did something. That was a crime in Cambodia. But I didn't know that it was a crime. And I come back to Canada where it's not a crime to do those things. And Cambodia sends a delegation of troops to come and arrest me in Canada. And they show up to my house and attempt to arrest me. Do I have to go with them? Am I under their authority? Am I under their Am I subject to their their authority, their will, their power? Absolutely not. Because I am not under their jurisdiction anymore. I'm under Canada's jurisdiction, and the laws of Canada apply to me. The laws of Cambodia no longer apply to me. So I don't have to be... I can't be arrested by them. They can't put handcuffs on my hand, Because I realize... I'm not a citizen of that nation. And as as such, its laws don't apply to me. Well, in the same vein, you were delivered out of the nation of hell, if you want to say it that way. Its laws, its governing regime, the devil, his forces, his enforcers, his troops, no longer have power or dominion to arrest you and keep you bound but the devil will work overtime to keep you from this, to try and get you to think that this is just another part of life. And ultimately, you know, the ultimate freedom will be in heaven. Yes, that will be the day when we no longer have to wrestle against flesh and blood uh, uh, and against um, principalities and powers. In this world, there's always going to be a challenge. There's always going to be a contestation. There's always going to be the prophets of Baal that rise up against the Elijahs of God on the earth. But that doesn't mean that we are to fall and succumb to be praying victims to them, just like Elijah did. He mocked, and then he said, Father, I pray. Show forth your power through me. Send fire from heaven and render judgment on the wicked. And when he did, fire came and licked up the water on on the altar. And that very day, Israel was set free from the bondage of of worshiping the Baals. You can be that Elijah in your family. Well, I'll just I'll just see how this goes, you know. If it gets really bad, then I'll, you know, I'll take authority. Why do that? Why not nub it nub it in the butt? Why not just get it right at the root? The Bible says, and I'm going to finish with this. And then Thursday, tune in because it's going to be probably one of the most powerful broadcasts. This was a good one. But Thursday is going to enforce things into your spirit like never before. My whole purpose and objective in doing this is to put in you a superiority complex over the forces of darkness. Where you're not running around like a chicken without your head, wondering if you're going to be taken captive by a snare of the devil today. But rather, you're the one, like Obadiah said, in that day, the last days, deliverers shall proceed out of Mount Zion. Mount Zion represents the church in prophecy. God didn't say he's going to send out cowards. He said, I'm going to send out deliverers, people that understand. That though we were at one time dead in our sins and trespasses, we have been made alive together in Christ Jesus. We have been raised together with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. We are made to be seated in him. And Christ is seated where? Far above principalities, powers. There's nothing. There's no force of darkness. If Jesus, when he died, dealt a head-crushing blow to the devil, who is the leader of, of hell, how much, if he took, if Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me, and that includes authority over the very devil himself, who is not omnipresent, people say, well, the devil, you know, is really working hard this week against me, it's probably not him, the devil, the Bible says in Revelation 3, uh, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Satan has one place he can be on planet Earth. He cannot dwell everywhere at once. But if Christ's authority gives you power over his, their leader, over the chief boss, how much more do you suppose that authority is going to have power to deal with his employees? Christ's has made you to be seated in Him, that in the ages to come, He might show through you His grace and kindness towards those who believe. My whole point in this is to make you to understand that you're not the one to check under your bed whether the devil's there. The devil should be checking under his bed whether you're there. Smith Wigglesworth said one time he was sleeping, he woke up, he felt a dark presence in the room, and he looked at the foot of his bed stood an ugly devil. And he, you know what he did? Did he get up out of his bed and start praying and fasting? And No. The devil shouldn't be able to determine when you pray and when you fast. The devil should not be able to determine your day. I mean, look at Jesus. Lazarus dies. Does he move right away to go and undo death? No, he waits four days. He wasn't wasn't being pushed around by the devil's work and, you know, realigning his schedule because the devil kept messing things up. No, I have my schedule to keep. When you understand this, you're not going to go in some panic frenzy every time you see darkness trying to rise up against you. Rather, you're going to laugh. You know what Smith Wigglesworth did? Oh, it's just you. He turned over and he went back to bed. Lester Summerall said one time he was sleeping. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? The only time the devil tries to get these great men was when they were sleeping because they weren't you know, aware. They weren't awake. But their spirits were awake and that's why he couldn't do it. You can imagine that devil trying to tippy-toe in and try and do something to Smith Wigglesworth, But his spirit was awake. Your body and your soul rest. While you're sleeping. But your spirit is always awake. Lester Sermon said he was sleeping. And all of a sudden. Windows blew wide open. And his bed began to shake. And move towards the middle of the room. He got up and he said. You foul devil. I arrest you. And I command you to leave. He said. When that happened. When I said those words. My bed stopped moving. And the wind. It wasn't like a a, a windstorm in my room anymore. But then I realized. Man. I'm sleeping. I'm in my night clothes. I'm not getting up to close those doors, those windows. It's cold outside. And also, I'm not I'm not moving this bed back. Why should I have to get up and move my bed back to where it was? You know what he said? Hey, devil, get back in here, put my, my, my bed to where it was, and then shut the doors on your way out. Shut the windows. You know what happened? Exactly as he said. You'll find out he's a cheap punk. He's like a... He likes to persuade people to think that he's a lion but really he's a mouse with a microphone that a believer by doing issuing out any command in the name of jesus will get him to do whatever you hey, remember remember this the ceo of a company does not take orders from the guy in sales the ceo of a company does not take say uh take orders from uh, the H I direct, HR director. Commands do not flow from the bottom up. They go from the top down. You are above. The Bible says I'll set you high above. The Bible says you are born from above and that which is abo- from above is above all things. You issue out the command in Christ's name and he'll be swift to, to obey. Enoch Adeboye once comes into a room. They had a guy that they were praying for deliverance and they had their sleeves open, uh, running up their arms and they were sweating for many hours as they were flinging the oil over him and they see Enoch Adeboye walk by and they say, uh, Pastor Adeboye, come in and help us pray for this guy. He's demon possessed. They have to pin him down because he kept manifesting every so often and they said, uh, can you come and pray and believe with us? Enoch Adeboye said, I'll come and pray on one condition. You let me do the praying first. They said, "Okay." He walks in, and they expected him to roll his sleeves up and put that like holy, solemn face under. You know, everybody has that face. You know, whenever they're about to engage again into like this sour pickle, baptized juice face. And what did he not get a boy to do? He got into the room and he pointed at him and he said, "In the name of Jesus, come out." And then he walked. He walked away. And they ran out and they grabbed out that boy by the arm and they said, "Hey, aren't you gonna? Aren't you gonna do more than that?" You know what he said? What? Do you want me to stay and watch him pack his bags? He's gone. He's gone. There's no way he can stand my withstand my command. Well, a few days later, they were. It was during a conference, a pastors' conference. A few days later, that same demonized guy who before was a a, a chef, he was a cook, is now serving at the conference and cooking meals and serving uh, at a boy's table in one, one moment's time. I mean, you see, David Oyedepo does the same thing. His cousin is afflicted with a spirit of in- insanity. And um, they they couldn't they couldn't solve the problem, so they call him in. He shows up. He says, take the boy, put him in my car. Let me see the devil that can that can stand my presence for one car ride. So they put him in the car. And um, as they're getting to their destination, by the time he he hadn't slept in like four four days or something like that. By the time they're getting to the destination, the kid falls asleep, wakes up, no longer insane, back into his right mind. Just like the Gathering Demoniac when he was delivered. Have you come to torment me before the time? Anything tormenting you right now in the name of Jesus as it encounters the anointing of God through the release of this revelation knowledge that I spoke to you today. In Jesus' name, a hands-off decree comes over your life. Psalm 105, he released a decree saying, Touch not mine anointed. There's a touch not There is a hands-off order issued over your life from today onward. In Jesus' mighty name, you are emerging free by the anointing of God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim release to the captives. Every form of captivity in Jesus' name, I command you, foul devil, hands-off. I release you from that hold, from that infirmity from that affliction, from that bondage, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. In Jesus' name, be free. In Jesus' name, be released. Come into the liberty of the children of God. In the name of Jesus. And he was sitting clothed and in his right mind. If you're watching right now and you're not Christian, you're not saved, none of this would ever apply to you. You need to get saved. The devil will continue to have a field day with your life as long as you're committed to serving him. Remember, he that commits sin is a slave to the devil. You need to get saved. The Bible says, whoever sins is of the devil, and the devil was a murderer from the beginning. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus was sent to destroy the work of the devil. And that begins by destroying sin in you. He did not come just to forgive you of your sin. Christ came to break the power of sin over your life. So that you're no longer a slave to its desires and its passions and its appetites. But instead a heart of flesh is put in you. God will put his spirit in you. And new passion, new desires, new appetites, appetites that please God will come alive in you. Have you ever had that experience? Where you're born again. Not, I prayed a prayer at an altar once and, you know, but nothing's really changed since then. No, there's a good chance you're not born again until, unless there's been a, a lifestyle change where the old is gone and new come. New, the new desires come. Where you're no longer a slave to the vile passions of sin, but instead the Bible says you're a slave to righteousness as you present yourself alive to God. If you've never done that, maybe you have, but you've fallen away. The Bible says that uh, there are people who can fall away. There are people, the Bible says in First Timothy four one, that will fall away in the last days. If you've fallen away, don't be don't, don't be categorized as one who continues to fall away. That fulfills Paul's prophecy. Then in the last days, many will depart, fall away, detach themselves from the faith. Maybe you have for a while. But you can connect back into the vine tonight, today, or if you're watching it at night tonight. If that's you and you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, recommit, rededicate your life. Turn the keys of your life over to him. I'd like for you to pray this prayer with me. Say it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. I turn my life to you. I repent of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Let old things pass away and empower me to live as a new creature. New life, new passions, new desires, and a new drive to please you the remainder of my days. Heaven is my home. God is my Father, and I'm never turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.